You ready to roll? You like the Packers, huh? Yeah, I'm ready. Oh, I like that you're going to get to hear my stuff in real time. Yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> oh, well, I just saw the summary, and it said Packers, underdog. And I was like, all right, I guess, guess he likes the Packers. We'll find out I think why. Johnny does too, low-key. He just didn't want to say it earlier. That's fun. We got to have him on soon. Cool. Tell him to come on next week. Let's have him on for next like week? the... Yeah. So right. we... Johnny, I'll leave this in. Why not? Johnny, I know you're listening. Tell us if you're free next week. Yeah, we need to get Johnny guest guest on the pod. Um, well, well, let's roll then. hello and welcome back to the second and two podcast i'm your host tb i got my co-host producer extraordinaire and connoisseur now of beanies it appears today he's going with a new look Mm -hmm. jody what's up joe what's good man yeah so the beanie comes i literally just bought this beanie on my way home had to make a pit stop because it's gonna be cold out there in uh, nashville so I need to keep the ears warm if that comes to it. I got two hats I'm taking with me, but the beanie is a better play. Worst case scenario. And yeah. Love it. And brand new. This thing's snug, bro. It's like compressed on my head. It's nice, I, it's nice when you get that beanie that fits you just right. And it's also like, mm-hmm. you know, the one that you get where it's not like itchy and yeah, it just yeah. fits comfortably. It's a nice yeah. material. And there's can't put a price on that. Yeah, so I got I got a different Carhartt one I wear for my parking job, and that one's like loose already. So I'm not used to this feeling of it just like sitting on my head, you know. And the other one slides around. I gotta like pull it back, make adjustments yeah. and stuff. So I was like, I gotta break it in at least for a little bit. So we're rocking it right now. Love it. Well, a uh, couple quick uh, housekeeping things before we get to uh, looking at these playoff matchups. Number one, um, we're recording today, uh, Tuesday, January Tuesday, 9th. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're a day removed from the national championship. Yeah. Michigan steamrolled University <laughs> of Washington. And uh, I, I mean, I came on here, I thought, you know, I said that Michigan would get a lead. They were going to be able to run the ball. But mm-hmm. I thought Penix, you know, they would figure some stuff out. They'd be able to kind of come back, make it somewhat of a game. And I think I said Michigan 35 27. Uh, 34, to be honest. 30, 34 27, something like that. Yeah. And I mean, I wasn't really far off on the Michigan part of it, obviously. But Michigan's defense played even better than I expected. And I expected them to give. Penix and UW, the toughest test they had seen all season. But I also had a lot of respect for Kalen DeBoer, Michael Penix, Roma Dunze, you know, Polk, McMillan, all those dudes that the Joe Moore award winning offensive line that they have over there, Dylan Johnson, who clearly was banged up and, and wasn't 100% at, at running back for Washington. But uh, man, Jesse Minter and what he did defensively, the interior D line that allowed them to just rush four. Saw something today that said they only pressured 16 total times, which is what my eyes told me in game. They didn't pressure a lot. Uh-huh. When they did, though, they made them count, and Penix never really burned them. A couple times they dodged some bullets, though. They really did dodge some bullets where it was just like just off, but I think that was due to consistent pressure in his face yeah. all night. And I have to say, 
from a few different angles. Right, the it's hard, I think, sometimes to watch these games for me because I watch them. I'll go in and out of different parts of me. <laughs> if this makes sense, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to understand. To being a coach, yeah, I think so. There's the there's the the Michigan fan that I. It's like the nine year old version of me that grew up. Yeah. You know, loving Michigan because that's just yeah. what I was taught in my household, and that's what I was born and raised. You know, to be was a Michigan fan. So there's like that little nine year old that's just loving the fact that we're just beating up on this team on the national stage. Yeah, right. That part of me is going crazy. Well, then there's the college football fan part of me that just wants to see a great game, wants to that see something sense. epic. That's just being a fan of the sport in general. Yeah, that like like what we saw in the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl last week. Yeah. The college football fan of me loved every bit of that. And then there's the coach version of me that's like watching the game and trying to understand what are what are these teams doing to each other? What's the chess match? Yeah. And, it, and it was just like watching Michigan's defense and some of the stuff that they were doing and the play call. Like I thought Jesse Minner was near perfect. And then UW, I actually thought had a great game plan to counter in that they were going to throw the ball short, they were going to throw their screen game, and their screen games are, you know, their stuff that they do is nasty, and but ultimately, you know, just never quite clicked for them. And so I think the college football fan was a little disappointed in the game. In yeah, me. that makes sense. And then, and then the coaching part of it, just I was like, man, the adjustments to the adjustments, uh, it was. <laughs> it was very fun. It was a fun watch. But it was also a little disappointing, but also obviously, um, you know, I just I was. Wanted. Ultimately, I think the thing that I loved about it was, um, Harbaugh getting to climb the mountain. That feels like that's true. That guy has won everywhere he's been, but he's never actually won the big one. Like he yeah, lost the I Super Bowl. That. Yeah. Right, like he never, his brother, he never got to, and at Stanford he didn't get the chance to win a national championship. Right, he probably never would have at Stanford because just that's a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, he he didn't win the the Super Bowl in in uh, San Francisco. And he finally won yeah. the big one here. Right, he had won big games. And I'm not saying he couldn't win big games, but he finally won the game. You know, and. uh I just felt really good for him because there were so many people who said he couldn't do it. I felt a sense of like validation for guys like Blake Corum and yeah. JJ McCarthy, Mike Sane were still Donovan Edwards, um, Zach Zinter, Trevor Keegan, you know, Jenkins, all the dudes who came back who could have left to the draft last year, uh-huh. you know, um, and obviously, you know, JJ and, and, and Donovan Edwards, those guys were sophomores and coming back as juniors this year. They couldn't have left. But basically everyone else I named, those guys all could have went to the draft and they yeah. all came back. And I just think that's a special thing that, you, you know, when you've got these dudes who could selfishly just go take the money. And yeah. how many times I mean, do we see? That's why NIL is there, low key. Well, and, and I'm not saying that this is all, you know, that they get <laughs> compensated for coming back. Certainly. Certainly, yeah. but obviously there's more money to be made out oh, there yeah, yeah, going definitely. to the NFL, and they all sort of said like, "Nah, that can wait a year. We have other goals that we won't set out as a team." So then, yeah. like that comes back yeah. to the coach part of me that just loves that they were able to build a culture. Like I envy that, and I think 
it was it was pretty cool to see them climb the mountain. So, so what's next for from you that standpoint? Harbaugh? I I think Harbaugh's going to the NFL, and I I you really I really do. And this is actually a great segue because we're going to talk about the coaching carousel before we get into the playoffs. Okay. So you you really nailed the segue on that, Joe. And uh, I don't know if you did it on purpose or not, but like, man, no. you should be a pro at this. You should be a pro at this, brother. I I, ge- I genuinely wanted to honestly. I was gonna just say, well, after that, let's congratulate our guy being the the head coach of the Chargers, first first people to do it. I, I really do I think know. that if you look at Harbaugh and his makeup, he's a competitor. He I think he he ultimately still. It still stings that he lost the Super Bowl. Uh huh. That makes sense. So, so I think there's still he would be lying if he said there wasn't a desire to win that <laughs> one too. And who? How many coaches can say they won a national championship and a Super Bowl? Yeah. There's just I I feel like in his mind he's restored Michigan to greatness. Exactly what he set yeah. out to do when he came there nine years. He's given Michigan nine years, a lot of ups, That's how long a lot of been downs. There? That's wild. Yeah. And so I just don't think he owes anybody there anything else. I don't think – and I don't think anyone in the fan base is at a point where if he left, they would be angry. I think everyone would be like, you know what? The guys earned expect, it. Honestly. And, and, yeah, I think that's an, it's an expectation. I mean, would I be shocked if he came back? No, because I still think yeah. he loves the University of Michigan. But I also – would lean right now towards he's going to be gone. He's going to go to the NFL. He's going to chase that dream. And man, more power yeah. to him. I, I, I'll honestly, it'll probably be tough not for me to root for the guy, even though I know for a fact he won't be coaching <laughs> the LA Rams because I know that's you know. But Sean um, he's coming back. Yeah. So with all that being said, I'll, I'll probably root for him in the NFL. I'll have a side team, and it'll be whoever he's coaching. But so open jobs right now. We've got the Raiders. The Chargers, mm-hmm. the Titans, mm-hmm. the Commanders, yeah, the Falcons, awesome. the Panthers, and then the one that's kind of up in the air right now is the Patriots. We don't know if that job is open yet. We really don't know. We heard some stuff from Belichick about being open to changes, maybe giving away some of his um, power in terms of the front office part of it, the personnel side of things, and yeah. maybe he will return as just the head coach. We don't know yet. Um then there's two teams that I've seen who are in the playoffs that there are rumors if they don't perform well in the playoffs, their head coaches could be fired. The Cowboys and the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Wait, already for McDaniel? I really think if the Dolphins did that, I saw that today, and I really think if the Dolphins did that, that would be a huge mistake, personally. Yeah. Uh, and... and I get the frustration on their part that they've had, all, but man, he can't control the injuries that they've had this year. That team was ready True. to win, I think, and and be a real threat in the playoffs. And then half their starting defense is hurt. Yeah, especially you know, <laughs> and, they lost and, Chubb and was Edward or and even Richards? some of their their offensive is. weapons, Jalen Waddle, um, yeah. Tyree Kill, Raheem Mostert, Devin Achan. Like those guys yeah. have been in and out of the lineup all year. So it's hard to blame him for that stuff. So I think they would be stupid to fire him, but I did see something about that today. I, I don't know how true that is, but I did see something about it. Uh, the Cowboys, uh, you know, maybe I guess there's something there if they lose in the playoffs again early, 
you know, maybe that's where they decide to make a change. They've had a lot of success in the regular season, not as much playoff success under Mark McCarthy. That's kind of been the case for the Cowboys for like 20 plus years. Um, anyway, so our best candidates to fill those open roles, the guy we just talked about, Jim Harbaugh, the current Michigan head coach, um, Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, the Rams defensive coordinator, Mike Vrabel, the former Titans head coach, crazy uh, Antonio Pierce, the Raiders interim head coach who could possibly become the full-time head coach there. True. Um, Mike McDonald, the Ravens DC used to be the Michigan DC with Harbaugh two years ago has been John Harbaugh's DC for the last two years and they have been killing it. Um, so he is now a hot name as a, as a um, head coaching candidate, Todd Munkin, former Georgia OC came in to be the Ravens OC this year. He's also a name. Aaron Glenn, the Lions, D.C., Bobby Slowick, the tight, the Texans, O.C., mm-hmm. Dan Quinn, the Cowboys, D.C., he's been kind of going through the cycle the last couple years, Eric Bieniemy, the Commanders, O.C., as well. Yeah. And then last, certainly not least, don't know if he's a free agent yet, the guy who looms Billy. over it all, Bill, Bill Belichick, Billy B., maybe could be sort of available, we don't know. Um, so there's a lot of names there for a lot of jobs. I mean, quite frankly, we already have six that are open. We could end up with at least seven, depending mm-hmm. on how the playoffs the go, Patriots. what happens with the Patriots. Oh, no, no, Maybe indeed. as many as nine, right? Yeah, so we're, we may end up with a third of the league or at least a quarter of the league changing head coaches this offseason. I think the crazy part too, though, is the Raiders and the Panthers just been firing their coaches like it's no, like it's their job, you know. Just like, oh, one bad year, boom, get them out of here. Oh, it's been two years in a row, boom, get them out of here. It, yeah, it is. It's been rough there with those two jobs, and you know, with the Panthers, they really need to get it right because it feels like you got to salvage the Bryce Young part of it. So yeah, that's for sure. Um, all right, now to the things that matter. That's all for the off season. And we're still in the playoffs, baby. We're starting the yeah. playoffs this week. This is my Super wild card weekend, baby. It's one of my favorite weekends of football of the year because it's just it's good stuff. And we get six good games, right? Or in in hopes of yeah. good games. Um so the first game on Saturday, we got Browns at Texans. All right. So I'm gonna give you a little stat tidbit here. 1,600 of in 16 of 4,011. Jody, any guesses as to what I'm referring to with that number or numbers? Yeah, that's how many yards Joe Flacco's thrown in his, I don't know, five games or whatever. So the first number is Joe Flacco's passing yards. The second number is the Browns' season total of passing yards. In mm. only five games of action, Flacco has passed <sighs> almost over half. 40% of their passing production. And the guy just he just takes deep shots, right? Yeah. Um he's he completed at least one 40 plus yard pass in each of his starts for the Browns. Isn't that a, something a record that, or something? In general? I don't know if it's a record. Um I was digging into some stats and I noticed it and then I went and looked back. That's only happened in four of their other games this year among their other four starting quarterbacks that they had. <laughs> So Flacco consistently has done it every game he started. And among the other four guys on the other 
14 or whatever. I wonder how many am I missing? Uh, 12 starts. That only happened four times. And uh, so 67.1% and 234.1 is the opponent completion percentage and passing yards per game for Houston's defense, right? Um, both uh-huh. of those marks rank near the bottom third in the NFL this season. Okay. However, the Texans are 12th in sack percentage. They get pressure. They maybe just don't cover as well on the back end. Well, Anderson. Derek, Derek Stingley Jr. Is, is a dog back there. He had a great year. Outside of him, the rest of their secondary is a little, I would say, suspect. Okay. Okay. So the key will be whether the Texans can generate pressure on Flacco or not, because he has an advantage with his weapons against that secondary. Now, Jody, you like, uh, you know, when we're talking the, the gambling world here. Yeah. Um, what's the over under on the game and what do you, what do you like? So I was looking at Bovada. That's where I normally do my bets in general, I should say. But I looked at ESPN bet. I seen they had their own thing. So the the numbers vary depending on which one. So it was forty four and a half or forty five between the two. And with so when they played earlier in the year, it was thirty six to twenty two. The Browns won that one. But the thing was, there was no C.J. Stroud. They had yeah. Case Keenum and, and David Mills playing. So I expect similar similar game to play out where there's just a bunch of points on the board. And with C.J. Stroud, you got the better options of him slinging the rock. Granny, I, I don't know if Tank Dell's coming back yet. I know he was on the IR. But Nico Collins was lighting it up last week. We talked about maybe you, you incorporate Devin Singletary in the run game a little bit too. But for me, I'm taking the over. I mean, if they already did it with the two backups for this team, like I think C.J. Stroud is just going to add on to that score any, even more. Yeah. So that's what I'm looking at for this game. I am I think I'm with you on the over there, um, and I'll get to my actual final score prediction here. But we're going to go to some tape, all right, to uh, help help the people understand what we're looking at. Okay. We're going to look at the, the Week 16 matchup between the Browns and the Texans, right? And if you look at the Browns historically under Stefanski, they love to run the football. Even with that this year without Nick Chubb, you know, prior to Flacco's arrival, they really have been a heavy run team, even with Flacco at times. So you'll see the Texans are in their base 4-2-5, cover four under D'Amico Ryans, right? Some stuff that they really like. Cover four, cover three is kind of their bread and butter. And... So <clears throat> they've got the six-man boxes. They're prepared for run, right? Because you see it's 11 personnel from the Browns. They've got an attached tight end, under center, deep back. All of this says run, right? Yeah. Um, now what's important to understand, cover four means we've got four deep, the two corners, the two safeties, and three underneath. We've got two flat defenders, which is the weak side backer, a hook defender, which is the strong side backer, and then another flat defender, which is your nickel slot corner to the field, right? So those guys are your flat players and your hook player, and then you've got your deep quarters players. Now the rules for safeties and cover four, true cover four, their eyes are on the number two receiver, the slot receiver on this side or the tight end on the top side of the screen. If that number two receiver goes flat or under, the rule is that they're running 
to your underneath coverage players. And so most of the time, you know, again, old school quarters, that means you double number one on the vertical. So this is going to be a max protect, play action max protect for, for Flacco and the Browns. They're only sending two in the route. They're sending two verticals. So if you're the Texans, that's great. You have the perfect coverage. You're in cover four. You should get doubles yeah. on both verticals. As long as you stay disciplined, you're fine. Okay? Let's watch <laughs> and see what happens. He said you should stay. No, nah, you see it, right? The safeties are flat-footed yeah, because they are part of the run fit, and so they don't necessarily charge, but they're part of the run fit. So they, you know, this safety's got his eyes on Njoku, the attached tight end. This safety's looking at the receiver who motioned in, who's now chipping on a backer, uh, on the, the outside backer who's rushing that edge, right? And you can see they're dropping into their hook drop, flat drops underneath. Yep. And now you're seeing, okay, two verticals, corner safety, corner safety, right? Yeah. We get the doubles, but watch Amari Cooper. He just runs past the safety, and the corner can't stay on top, and Joe Flacco just airs it out. Now, the crazy thing is that most quarterbacks, if they saw quarters coverage versus this, and they've only got a two-man route out there, they probably don't throw this. But Flacco just trusts his arm, and he just he's willing to huck and chuck, right? And he's saying, hey, my guy's faster than you. He's going to beat you there. Yeah. And so the first play is just an explosive that gets him down to the five-yard line. That's how the Browns started this thing off, and they didn't take their foot off the gas. Now, is this the week Amari Cooper had like 300 yards? Uh, I don't know his exact uh, receiving yards was that it, week. It might have been. Crazy? I want to look that up while you, you continue. So on the flip side, right, talked about the Texans creating pressure, right, and that being a key to getting to Flacco. We all know Flacco, as much as he makes you know deep ball completions, he can also turn the ball over, right? So if you're the Texans – the key in winning this game is creating pressure, getting turnovers out of Flacco. You want to pull out the bad version of Flacco. Once again, on this play in the second quarter, they're playing quarters, right? So this slot defender is going to run to the flat. He's going to buzz to the flat. The corner, he's going to buzz to his quarter, and the safety is going to get to his quarter. Now they've got a condensed look, so that brings everything in tight, but you understand they're probably condensed to expand. All the uh, the Browns are running is a variation of flood, essentially, right? Yeah, um, I see it. And so if they're running a variation of flood, right, you've got a vertical route, the deepest route. You've got an out route that's at you know the uh, intermediate space, and you've got a check down to the flat. So you're going to see the, the tight end's going to chip and get to the flat. The stacked players, they're going to run kind of and drift behind one another, they're going to be in a line and then break to the out and then break to the corner. This is really tough on the defenders because you got to you got to sort out the trash, right? You got to take the one that comes to you. Uh huh. Makes sense. Now you watch what happens. Now the big thing is the Texans don't necessarily get to Flacco in terms of getting a sack, but you can see right as he lets it go. Someone's in his face. He doesn't get fully into the throw. They do a good job of sinking underneath, right? The flat defender sinks underneath the out route, so you can't throw that. You're going to force him to throw the check down and then rally and tackle it. 
The corner is kind of playing the high-low between the corner route and the out route. Same thing. You want to try and force the throw underneath. And then the safety is staying on top of the corner route. Now, the safety, again, foot speed, you know, it's a foot race here. He's kind of getting beat by Amari Cooper. However, or I I think that's actually Marquise Goodwin. However, and the corner doesn't sink well enough, but because the pressure gets to Flacco, the ball is a little underthrown, a little more air under it. And so now it's a pick for the safety, even though he was initially out leveraged. And now this is a good good view of it inside. You look number 96, Malik Collins. He wins on his third move, right? His counter. And is able to get to Flacco just enough to force a bad throw. So yeah. this is the key to this game. How many interceptions and how many times can the Texans get to Flacco? They forced multiple holding penalties in that game. They sacked him once. They picked him twice. Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't have, obviously, C.J. Stroud, so they couldn't keep up score for score with them, and they allowed too many explosives. If they can cut down the explosives and get to Flacco, force him to make mistakes, I think the Texans have a really good chance to win this game at home. Yeah, I mean, so that, that first game, it was the game where Amari Cooper, he had 11, 11 catches, 265, and two tutties. Yeah. I got Joe Flacco, three touchdowns, two picks with yep. 368. Yeah, what a day. That was, uh, I think he almost set a record for the in-season game if they would have thrown into him like another time deep, but neither here nor there. The next thing I'm going to give you guys, though, for in terms of betting, it's going to be prop bet for the Browns. So the one I was looking at for this game, for the Browns especially, it's going to be our guy Jerome Ford. Uh, you know, we as I just mentioned, Joe Flacco threw for 368. You know, in that first game they played, I expect him to throw the ball a lot again. So that being said, taking Jerome Ford under 43 and a half rushing yards in this game. He, there's only there's seven times all year where where they they've rushed more than that number, and since they've had Flacco, they've only done it twice, and so. The last time they played two, Jerome Ford only had 25 rushing yards, so that was another another thing I looked at for this. And Jerome Ford, you know, I, I mentioned it with you kind of briefly last week, how if I give you a name, you should just throw out where they went. He's from Cincy. <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, they have Kareem Hunt, it should be noted there as well, who's taken some carries away from him. Um, Kareem Hunt, I believe you can fact check me on this. I think it's Toledo. Toledo. Um, is where he's Ooh. from. Toledo. Um, but I, I think I like that. It's going to be tougher. I think, um, for them to run the ball and, uh, and more than likely Jerome Ford won't get enough carries probably won't get enough opportunities to get to that number. Not that he isn't capable. Don't know if he'll get the opportunities. Plus feels like this game is going to be a shootout. So yeah, no, exactly. I mean, he had 15 carries in that first game, only got 25. So yeah, okay. They were, they were stopping that run game. Let's see where we at on this thing. My bad. The Oh, you did you did both the a, the break the Texans prop bet? Yeah, I got one for them too. My bad. So, the next one I'm doing also a running back for the for the Texans. We're looking at Devin Singletary on his rushing yards and I'm going 59 and a half taking the over on his. 
So there's Ooh. only three times where he's gone under that number since week 10. And he went to FAU. Is where he's from. <laughs> he went to FAU, so you got to take the over. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the, that's not the reason. I, I, I thought I had more notes written for him, but all I had was three times in the last eight weeks where he's gone under 59 and a half. So I think, you know, it just makes sense. They, they, they've had a, a better run game over time. He actually... Devin Singletary, I don't know if you know this, earlier in the year set a record for having like a certain amount of rushing yards and receiving like a hun- over 100 for both. And I don't know what the like extra little stipulation on there was, but <laughs> something along those lines. There's always an extra stipulation. All yeah, right. no, exactly. So we bring it, the LeBron bring stats it, uh, that they call him on uh, another <laughs> podcast. We bring it full circle here. Final score predictions. And then uh, Jody will give you his money line bet and what he likes against the spread. I'm going Browns 31, Texans 35. I'm taking the home underdog. Um, CJ Stroud, mm-hmm. D'Amico Ryans. I just like them. I like them at home. Um, the Browns have been a feel good story considering yeah, all sure. they've overcome to be here this year. The Joe Flacco part of it is amazing. And uh, he he's no doubt like should be talked about at least in the comeback player of the year discussion mm-hmm. just because it. It seemed like his career was over, and now he's really playing competitive <laughs> ball. But yeah, I think ultimately sure. D'Amico Ryans and what he'll do defensively um, to generate pressure and then what Stroud is going to be able to do offensively, I think the Browns' defense is not nearly as good on the road as they've been at home. So I'm rolling with the Texans here as the home underdogs because um, I just like Stroud in this matchup. All right, so I'm not gonna lie, you kind of you kind of swayed me to pull for the Texans, but I was gonna roll with the Browns actually on this game. So I'm a, I don't know if I trust the three point favorite for them. I that I, I feel like it's gonna be a really close game. And you could hedge there, take the Browns yeah. on the money line, but take the Texans against the spread. Yeah, no, exactly. And I don't know, I don't know what score I could see it playing out to be. Obviously, I think it's gonna be more than that 45 number, but. but yeah, yeah, my, my prediction smashes that, that, that number. number. Yeah, 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 that's for sure. It yeah, is worth noting, though. It, it feels like in the playoffs, playoffs usually the score is a little bit less than you expect. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. It's, I have defense a is really matching up. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think the Browns just in general, I, I don't know. I just think Joe Flacco being the vet pulls off something wild down the road. Maybe maybe a late drive to win the game. Maybe... Or maybe him in the in the squad, the the defense over there for the Browns, like step it up a notch, like you said, and maybe they get a costly turnover late in the game on CJ Stroud or something. I don't know. Way I see it, Browns figure it out. Don't know how how close the game will be. I think it will be pretty close. I do like three for the Texans, but all in all, I expect a good game. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. All right. Um, let's go to game two, the second game Saturday night. This is the Peacock game. For those of you who didn't know, you're going to have to have Peacock to watch this, which is really weird mm-hmm. to me. But that part aside, the key stats for this game, <laughs> 56 and 23 and a half. The 56 is the number of sacks the Dolphins have created this year. Okay. The 23 and a half are the ones created oh. by the trio of Jalen Phillips, Bradley Chubb, and Andrew Van Ginkle, who will all oh, likely wow. be out. Obviously, Chubb and Phillips have had – Season-ending injuries. Yeah. Van Ginkle's injury in the Bills game did not look good. Mm-hmm. Hasn't been officially ruled out, but the updates are not great so far. So 
in all likelihood, you're missing over 40% of your sack production in a game in which they need to generate pressure on Mahomes and make him feel uncomfortable. He's only been sacked on 4.22% of his dropbacks this year. It's one of the best numbers in the league. I know the Chiefs offense hasn't been what we think it Electric. should be or what it's been yeah. previously. In the past. But they've still yeah. done a really good job of protecting Mahomes. He's done a good job of protecting himself when need be. And uh, Mahomes, he's going to likely have time to throw. So will his weapons get open? Will they make plays against a still formidable Dolphins secondary? Um, and what does Vic Fangio have in store to try and help that group? We'll see. Yeah, so let's see. Are you going to give us the the film study, or do you want me to hit this this over-under real quick? Yeah, I want to hear what you're thinking about the over-under. All right, so the over-under, the line sits at 44 or 43.5, depending where you look. And the last time these fools played, it was in Germany, as we briefly talked about last episode, where we, we struggled to figure out which one it was for a little bit. And that score turned out to be 21-14, and that was in Week 9. And now we're playing in Kansas City where it's expected to be really cold. And I don't see both of the teams scoring 20. That's what it comes down to. The the weather included with the fact that didn't even happen last time in a whole different country. I expect this game to be under the 44. So I just want to say what's funny about this, when I do these predictions and I look at all the stuff and I look at the film and everything, uh-huh. I don't look at the lines at all. Yeah. Like at all, or the over-unders. So yeah. you're going to laugh when I give you my final score prediction here? Oh, I've seen it. i got I'm, to look ahead I'm, right now. <laughs> I'm, right, I'm right on the 44 number. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, I saw that. And I didn't do that on purpose. I, I, and I think depending on, um, and we'll get to the, you know, the spreads and all that stuff, but depending on what you look at the spread, like a lot of times I think I'm like right on the spread number two with the margin of victory. So, <laughs> um, and again, I didn't do that on purpose. So maybe I'm just aligned with the, uh, the odds makers. But um, let's get to some film here. We want to look at, you know, this. Ooh, do, do, do. Here we go. There it is. Uh, we want to look at the best chance Miami has to win this game. Okay. Because um, I do think they are truly in an adverse situation, missing a lot of their guys defensively. Their offense is going to have to protect their defense um, to a certain extent as much as it can. So we're going to look at how they might go about doing that. Okay. Right. So <clears throat> in the first game, one of the things that I think Miami, if it could have it back, which they do by playing this playoff <laughs> game, I think they'd give the football to Raheem Mostert more. They only ran him 12 times in their week nine matchup. He had 85 yards and a touchdown on just 12 carries. They really didn't run the ball in general, but he definitely, definitely didn't touch it enough. And then, HN was hurt at that time, so he wasn't mm-hmm. a factor in the game. He's he should be back for this one, right? So um I think they really need to focus on their run game. You know it's gonna be freezing cold temps. It's gonna be tough to probably throw the ball as much. Yep. And you want to keep that Chiefs offense off the field, no matter what people are saying about it, and maybe not as dynamic. <laughs> Still Patrick Mahomes over there in the playoffs at home. The guy doesn't lose in those situations. So how do you beat him? How do you make that happen? You gotta run the football. The right? This is one of, 
you know, the staples of this McDaniels offense, what's the first part of it? Well, you get motion, right? You're going to get a motion across your face. That's going to take the DBs or the backers eyes. It's going to force them to adjust, right? Create better angles for your blockers. And then the second part of it is they're going to run wide zone. Okay. So in wide zone, they're going to double up to the, to the free backers, right? The tackle, he's going to take the wide end, right? The wide nine there. They're going to double up on this, um, two technique, this two eye to the front side backer. They're going to double up on the three technique, Chris Jones to the backside backer. And then the, one of the harder blocks right here is going to be the, uh, the tight end. He's got to cut off the backside end, right? Got to cut him off. So he doesn't create penetration from the backside. Okay. So let's watch what happens. One, you're going to notice what the motion does, right? It forces this safety, this way it forces number 20 this way now he doesn't actually get out of gap right he gets into the b gap um, but he's going to get in the b gap and upfield. now you'll notice yeah. where do they create the gap backside chris jones me. the veteran chris jones is not in his b gap right now right because you see they've got a c gap defender who's trying to set an edge but toronto armstead yeah. is doing a good job of moving him so that edge is getting wider they've got a backer who's getting into his b gap but he's not coming free. They've got a, a, a two eye who's in the A gap. He's also getting moved though. They've got Drew Chanquil who's trying to get into this backside A gap. But now you'll notice there's no one in the backside B gap because what happened? Chris Jones, he ended up out of gap backside, right? So now watch Mostert. Ooh, the cut's there. Drew Tranquil can't make it over the top because there's so much space. Oh. Look at that. They get blockers out in front with the receivers on the edges. This ends up being a huge play for the Dolphins, a 25-yard play. And what's fun about that is they followed it up the next play. They ran wide zone again, and they got 19 yards. But they didn't do it a whole lot after that. So um, this was actually later in the game um, when the Dolphins were trying to come back. And so, um, you know, the Chiefs were giving them a little bit different look. But I anticipate Mike McDaniels to go back to his roots to run the football like he did when he was the run game coordinator, essentially in San Francisco. Right. Yeah. Um, I think he's going to be creative in what they do, but I, I anticipate you're going to see a lot more runs than throws this week. Um, they're going to try and protect Tua from hits he could possibly take. Um, and they're going to try and keep their defense off the field as much as possible. Now on the flip side, if you look at the chiefs, okay, the chiefs, Oh, their offense is down this year. They don't have any receivers. Mahomes isn't as good, X, Y, Z, right? They're playing a defense where they can smell blood in the water. They know these guys don't have the same pass rush that they normally would have. That's not a shot yeah, at Melvin Gordon or Melvin Ingram or some of the guys that they got trying to play. You know, those guys are good players. They're just not Pro Bowl caliber guys like Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips are. Yeah. Just not. Facts. Van Ginkle who isn't those guys either, but he plays with relentless effort. Is the reason he has six sacks this year. He's not playing. If he's not playing, they really don't have, they're missing a lot, right? Yeah, um, no, definitely. So this uh, this first play, right, this was the first play of the game. Andy Reid, man, he's still, he's still up there with the best play designers in, in football. It's flawless execution, too. It's a great call. You're going to see that Fangio's defense isn't a cover three look. All right, so you're going to drop this safety down, and we're going to roll the backside safety high. 
The corner is showing press, but he's going to bail. That's Jalen Ramsey. And then you're going to play four underneath, right, with the safety coming down, three behind it, cover three, standard cover three. And they're going to carry verticals with the safety who's coming down in the flat, who's buzzing to the flat. You'll notice they're going to motion Watson across the formation. He's going to run out to come back in. They're going to run essentially like a little curl and go by the outside receiver out there. Then they're going to leak Marquez Valdez-Scantling from the backside. He's going to chip and hold for a second and then leak and look at the area he runs to. The exact voided area but that by that little curl and go. Yeah, so you take the defender who's in that zone. He has to run away with it. And then the hook defender who would normally be in that zone to take it over, guess what he does? He sees Isaiah Pacheco run to the flat. And where does he run to? To the flat. So it vacates this area. They literally understand the rules. They create an open spot in the zone, and then they attack that open spot. That's why Andy Reid's one of the best in the game, man. So we'll watch it play out because it's a thing of beauty. Motion him over. Snap it. Boom. Okay. Everything is covered right now, right? Yeah. You can see the carry defender on number two, the deep third corner on the over out by number one, the backer who's playing a slough technique. He's going flat down the line, staying in the zone, but just staying flat and even with Pacheco. So he's not out leveraged, but now watch what happens. Boom. They're all gone, right? Everyone's covering a guy and this hook defender can't get over to replace Look at how open Marquez Valdez-Scantling looks, right? And that's where people are watching. They're like, how does that guy get so wide open? Because Andy <laughs> Reid designed it that way. He Steam. knew he's getting he cover three, and he put in the cover three beater on the first play. It's a thing of beauty, man. And then give a little props and love to the O-line up front. And this is against Phillips and Chubb. Both those guys were healthy this week. Look at that. He has all day to throw. That's the other part of this. Can't ask those guys to cover forever. And that's, yeah, that's with their sure. two best pass rushers. So I do think there's a it's a tough mismatch for the Miami defense. Vic Fangio is one of the better defensive coordinators in the game still. He's going to have his work cut out for him, though, against Andy Reid, who is, as I said, one of the best play designers in football. Yeah, I always love seeing him on the sideline for sure. He's got the card up, especially back in the COVID days. He had the mask on. The, the Yeah. <laughs> My guy had the fog on there, the comedy, good times. But, <laughs> but let's see the the prop bets I'm looking on this one. So I don't know if I prefaced it in the first part, but I was looking at prize picks for all these. So prize picks, if you're okay. listening, I, I'm a user. But uh, sponsor us. Yeah, you get to start somewhere. So all these numbers I was looking at come from there. And so where are we at on the who was first? The Dolphins. Dolphins is first. All right, so. The one I was looking at for two passing yards. His his number was 256 and a half. I took the under on this. Five out of his yeah. last seven uh, games, he he hasn't reached that number. In the game when they played in Germany, he hit 193. So it's like it hasn't been looking good. And I, I just expect the weather and with Tyreek being down a little bit and even Jalen Waddle's been in and out the the, the rotation as well the last couple of weeks. Huge variety of reasons why it does yeah. not feel like he will reach that number. 
Exactly. And then not to mention right now, you were showing us the running game, bro. It was looking nice against them. That's, that's more what I'm of saying. a reason. And they got they're a gonna lot have of reasons Devon A-chain. outside of even just Tua. There's just a lot of reasons yeah. why I don't think that number is likely. I agree with you. Yeah. And side note, he's from Bama. I knew that one. Didn't have to look that one up. <laughs> <laughs> not many I know, but there's a couple. And then let's see. So the the flip the side, we side? got yeah the Chiefs. There you go. I was looking at so at the time, like I, I told you earlier in the day, there wasn't many props. And now I was looking at ESPN bet, and they had the real numbers and stuff out. So these ones, the earlier, the first three games are all skewed because those were from this morning, like four a.m. So the one at the time I was taking was Harrison Bucker over one and a half field goals. So four out of the last six, he's gotten more than two field goals. Which is nice. And let's see, what's this? Oh, fun fact. Here we go. My guy's a junior. His dad's name's also Harrison. And my guy oh. went to Georgia Tech. Good to know. All right. So one and a half field goals. You're taking the over on that? Yeah, over on that one. Okay. Taking at least two. Right. I mean, there was one game he kicked all field goals. He had six. Crazy. True. All right, so it's time for my final score prediction. I told you I was right on the number. I'm yeah. just near the spread. Um, I've got Dolphins 20, Chiefs 24. I think the Dolphins are going to be competitive in this game. Remember, last year, they had to play a road playoff game in Buffalo with Skylar Thompson as their quarterback, and they made wow. that thing a game. Yeah. Mike McDaniel understands how to protect a quarterback. He understands what he needs to do in the run game. And he'll exploit the the, the deficiencies in a defense. Yeah. I think ultimately he'll be able to do that enough to keep them in it to try and keep Pat Mahomes off the field. Ultimately, though, I just don't think the Dolphins have enough on defense right now. I just don't think they're healthy enough. Yeah, I think it'll be I competitive. I think it'll be a fun game. It's going to be freezing. Maybe they won't score as many points as I'm predicting. I just think, you know, we'll have a couple big plays, a couple explosives that'll get them in the end zone, maybe a turnover that sets a team up in the red zone, that kind of thing. Um, And we'll end up at this number, 24-20 Chiefs. Jody, what do you have for the money line and the spread? Uh, Well, for the prediction, I see this either like 2017, 17, 21, 24, somewhere in that range where the Dolphins end up with 17, Chiefs end up with a variation of anything between 20 and 24. But for the money line, I would be looking at the Chiefs. I think they get it done, as we as you talked about with your prediction as well. And then for the spread, I think I like the Dolphins, but I wouldn't be surprised if that they just can't get the the ball rolling. Like maybe the run game works, but as soon as they pass, you know, two it throws a pick or something. You know, some fluky happens. So I'm gonna just roll with the Dolphins because four and a half is a lot. That that seems like too many points for the Chiefs right now, especially in the last couple of weeks. So yeah. I'll, I'll take the Dolphins spread, Chiefs money line. And my final score prediction in this case would support that one. Yeah. Um. All right, so let's move on to Sunday's games, the the uh, early window game, Steelers at Bills. Um. The key stat for this one, one in ten. That's the Steelers' record without T.J. Watt in the lineup during his career. And yeah, that's wild. Given his MCL sprain, 
It appears the Steelers were going to have to play without him. It's good news for Josh Allen and the Bills because that offense has rushed for at least 100 yards in each of its last seven games. They've gone over 125 and five out of those seven, and they've gone six and one during that stretch to make the playoffs. Yeah. Can the Steelers defense bow up and stop the run to force the Bills to be one-dimensional? At the end of the day, that's the question. question. Can they stop yeah. the run, make him be, make Josh Allen put on the cape? Because when that happens, he tends to turn over the ball. He also tends to make great yeah. plays. He makes things happen, but he'll turn you the ball over. And in a playoff game like this, that's the way that you maybe keep yourself in the game. Very but true. if you let the Bills dictate to you that they're going to run the football, the game will look like that Cowboy game did a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, And that's just the reality. So, um, Jody, what do, you, what do you got on the, uh, the over-under on this one? So over-under sits at 35-and-a-half in this game, <laughs> which kind of makes sense considering the Steelers don't really put up points and the Bills have the ability to, as we've seen many a times. But they also tend to, you know, they could also play down to their opponent every now and again. So this one... Oh, I'm taking the over in this one. All right, so okay, they played in the in the preseason this year, twenty-seven to fifteen, <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, Steelers. Let's see. Oh, I had a stipulation on this one. So unless the weather is bad, then we're we're rolling we're rolling the over. If the weather isn't is not looking good, we're taking that under because if it's snowing, that's not going to help the cause no bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> so if it's a nice, decent day out, you know, maybe it's like the 40s, you know, it's cold. That's fine. But if it's snowing, I don't I don't trust the over. And then let's see, I expect both quarterbacks to score plenty of points. I mean, Mason Rudolph's done it the last three, four weeks, however long he's been starting. He He's kept the, the Steelers looking nice. And Josh Allen definitely can, can run the ball, throw it even better. And let's see. For the for that number on thirty five and a half, the Steelers went three out of six on the on those games. So the six of the games they had less than thirty five, they lost half of those, and then only two times all years that the Bills have gone under that number. So I, I like the over, like I said, without snow. Okay, I'm with you. Um... So when we look at this game, we get to the film breakdown here. Um, I think there's been a huge growth of the Steelers offense. I think a lot of people point to the coordinator change. That's true. They have been different. They've had more motion incorporated. They've been more creative in their run game. I think they've been less predictable. But there's also been a huge growth from their offense with Mason Rudolph at quarterback the last three weeks. he, he's. You could tell he's a more mature quarterback than Pickett oh, than or even Trubisky. Oh, <laughs> just just in terms of the way he goes through progressions, right, and the poise he plays with. He's not afraid to make the big time throw, but he doesn't just throw it just because he's supposed to. And that's kind of how it feels like Trubisky plays sometimes. It feels like Kenny Pickett's afraid to make that throw until he absolutely has to at the yeah. end of games and that's when he lets it rip and I wish he would play more that way all the time. It feels like Kenny Pickett almost holds himself back sometimes. Um and Rudolph, you know, to his credit, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't uh 
he hasn't played that way since he's since he's been reinserted as the quarterback for the Steelers here. Um, and we saw him kind of he has been gone for a couple of years in terms of really playing in meaningful football games. He hadn't played really in a couple of years, and we've seen he's definitely grown since the last time he played. So this is at Seattle a couple of weeks ago um, on a third down, critical third and five early in the game. Um, Seattle's playing two man, tough one to throw against, especially when you're an empty. You know you only have five guys protecting you. You've got five in the route, but they've got seven to cover it, right? They're going to man up, man up, man up, man up, man up underneath with five guys on five guys, but then they've got two deep safeties, so everyone can be really aggressive underneath, right? That's the whole point of two-man. So you'll see early in the in the route, he looks to his right on the side with Fryermuth and uh, – I believe that is Allen Robinson, right? So you've got a simple, you know, fade out combo down there. The mm-hmm. safety, the you know, the the cover two safety backside. Generally, he's supposed to play the vertical, but he sees Rudolph's eyes. He's jumping the out route. Yeah, he thinks he's going to be able to make a play and get a pick here. <coughs> now Rudolph sees that. Now you'll notice. Allen Robinson comes open late. He actually beats his defender really late. But by the time that happens, Rudolph has already moved on in the progression. So he looks, <laughs> Robinson on the vertical, don't like it. Friar Muth on the out route. I see the safety jumping it, don't like it. I'm going to work back to the other side of the field, right? So on this backside, you've got Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren's really running a hitch route on the backer. He's not really in it. You've got a little whip route by Deontay Johnson and then a vertical by George, George Pickens. Pickens is taking that safety with him. That's two on two out there. Jalen Warren spaces the field, essentially takes that backer with him. So it gives Deontay Johnson all this room underneath to work. And watch what happens. Rudolph doesn't panic. He makes a great throw, gets through the full progression, puts it on time to Deontay Johnson and lets him go cook against rookie pro bowler Devin Witherspoon, might I add. This is really good stuff from Rudolph. You can see it from this angle. He's looking. He doesn't like it, doesn't like it. Come over here. Boom. There it is. Popped his hips to the throw. Made a great throw. It's a huge first down. The Steelers were not doing this. Like, this wasn't happening for the first 14, 15 weeks of their football (laughs) season. Seriously, they weren't. And what flipped things for them in these last few weeks, they've won three games in a row. Huge part of that is Mason Rudolph's play at quarterback, and that's why. He's patient in the pocket. He's not afraid to make big throws. He trusts his guys. He lets it rip. Um, so, And that's really what you want out of your quarterback nowadays, right? Okay, and now on the flip yeah. side, we talked about the Bills, right? If they're able to run the ball, I don't know that there's a lot of teams that are going to beat them. When you make when you let them run the football, James Cook has been a revelation this year. Yeah, they went crazy um, versus the it. Cowboys. You know, I think Joe Brady. You know, there's a lot of criticism when they fired Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator, and Ken Dorsey hadn't done a bad job necessarily, right? But I think one of the things that Joe Brady did here in the last six seven weeks, he just committed to running the football, and since they found that. They've been so much better because it helps Josh Allen not have to be Superman so often. I think it takes some pressure off of him, right? So you'll notice here, this is a simple uh, 
you know, one back power, but they're going to pull the tackle. Now, I cannot stress enough how hard this is for Deion Dawkins, the, the left tackle. There are not many tackles in football that can do this, what you're about to watch. I mean, the list is like him, Trent Williams, Lane Johnson. <laughs> That's pretty much the list, you know, in terms of yeah. consistently being able to do this. So I can't say that part enough. Um, but from schematic standpoint, the left guard, he's going to block down on the end. The let the center's going to block on the nose. He's got to win that matchup, though. It's a hard block because it's their head up. He's got to turn him away from play side. He's got to win that. If he loses that, this play is dead, right? If you get penetration, the play is dead. The front side guard and tackle are going to double the, the five technique in front of them or the four technique in front of them and then double up to the backside backer when he tries to run over the top versus this power scheme. And then you're going to see Dawkins, the tackle, he's going to pull to kick on the edge defender here. Dawson Knox is going to arc release that edge defender and block the the nickel corner in the slot. And then they're just going to leave Demarcus Lawrence unblocked. But you're going to see why they do that. Who's responsible to block him without even touching him? Josh Allen, because Josh Allen's going to give a read look to hold Demarcus Lawrence. Because if Demarcus Lawrence yeah. cracks, Allen has the ability to just pull that ball backside and run it himself away from the play. So it's great stuff from Joe Brady. Great scheme, great design. It also shows the importance of Allen's running ability even when he's not doing it. Okay, so you see it. You've got the double. <laughs> yep. You've got the double front side that's moving. You got the center who's winning against that nose. That right there is good enough because you're already you've got your tackle already cleared. Look at Josh Allen stopping Demarcus Lawrence's feet. He can't run that play down. He has to respect Josh Allen. Boom! Look at the kick by Dawkins. Everyone is sealing up backside. Dawson Knox is blocking his defender, and now it's just one on one with the safety. And that's just pure talent from James Cook. That's why you draft that guy out of out of out of Georgia, right? Almost said out of Florida State, that's his brother. <laughs> but that that's the kind of stuff that you've been seeing from the Bills that's been so effective and why they steamrolled the Cowboys in that game. Cowboys couldn't yeah. stop their run game. If the Steelers don't figure out a way to make the Bills one-dimensional, this could be the game that gets you know ugly, not one that you want to watch if it gets to that point. Well, his brother Dalvin also, new new member of the Ravens as of last week, I believe. True. But let's see. So for my it's a prop bets, yeah. Am I not mistaken? Prop bets. Let's hear prop it. Prop bets. So the first one we got is the where where is it? Oh, we're going Steelers first. All right. So the Steelers one, like I said, I was looking on prize picks. They they're haters on the Steelers. There was nothing good. And when I say that, I mean there was a total of three. That I saw. Both two with Najee, one with Jalen Warren. And so the Najee one, one of them, they're you're forced to pick the over. It's a touchdown. But they they added this new system where it's demons and goblins where I don't know. If it's green, that means it's easier. If it's red, that means you know you're going in demon mm-hmm. time like you expect it to be hard. <laughs> but you time. get better payouts. You get better payouts for the red. The green, it's a little bit less because it's supposed to be a, like automatic, basically. So the Najee touchdown was the red guy, so you have to take the over. Have to get him a touchdown. And then the only other stat was 
rushing yards and first five attempts. Najee had 18 and a half, and Jalen Warren had 19 and a half. I think I would take the Jalen Warren one out of those two, or out of those three like options. Who's out of Pitt? I think Najee's out of Bama, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, I don't know, 19 and a half. But let me see. I think ESPN had their total. So they had Najee Harris 61 and a half rushing yards and Jalen Warren at 40 and a half. I think if I were to go out of those two, I'd take the over with Najee. He's been running the, the ball a lot and really well recent times. Jalen Warren, I think, is more of the, their passing guy. So I don't know. Do with that with your information. If you're on prize picks, I'm I'm rolling the the eighteen or nineteen and a half on Jalen Warren first five carries. Okay. And then for for the flip side for the Bills, this one seems automatic to me. It kind of ties into right now how you so showed the guy doing zone read. I'm taking Josh Allen rushing touchdown or receiving touchdown. I I, I don't like the one and a half passing touchdowns. I don't. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I do think. We're for sure getting one with him on his legs, whether it's like him jumping over the pile to reach the ball across the line down the road or breaking like a 20 yard touchdown, you know, to, to get it in. That's, I just see this guy getting a rushing touchdown for sure. Also, out of Wyoming, I know that one because of Johnny. So, yeah, those are my two, <laughs> two prop bets for the week for them. I know that one because of Johnny. Shout out, Johnny. Got to get him on. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he used to play the guy. Maybe not him exactly, but the Air Force <laughs> plays them, so he would yeah. always talk about that. All right, so I'll give you my final score prediction here. I anticipate, and and I gotta give a uh, condolences to my uh, my uncle here. I do anticipate this being the least competitive game of the weekend. Yeah, um, and it's not that. really a uh, a diss on the Steelers as much as it is just a credit to TJ Watt and how important he is to that football team. And it sucks. They don't have him. It really does. If they had him, I think this is more of a fun game, but without him, it's tough. I'm going to go Steelers 17 bills, 27, (laughs) which is funny because I learned after making that prediction that the spread is 10. Yep. So of course, I told you on some of these, I am right on that, right on the head. I am. I obviously do. I'm with you. I like you, the over. Um, but tell me what you like for the money line and the spread, Joe. Uh, for the spread, I mean, I agree with you. Not having TJ Watt is is brutal for that defense. I do think, I think tens a lot for the playoffs. I'm be honest, but I, I do think the Bills could pull it off. And ten, the is, money ten line, is a lot. Yeah, ten is a lot, and I'm right on the number. So yeah. it's that's a tough one. I say, you know, if you're lucky enough to have sliders, move it down to like six or some six and a half, maybe seven, a little less than ten for sure. But out of the ten, I think I still kind of like the ten, even though it, it's it's a lot for the yeah. playoffs. And then the money line, you know, guaranteed. I don't, I don't. If the Steelers win, they gotta have like a pick six, a return punt you know like a bunch of yeah. bunch of crazy yeah, plays no, we don't ever really see happening happen. mike tomlin voodoo Steeler magic yes i agree <laughs> him just staying on the sideline with that look. ask the jaguars Maybe. about that they messed with that terrible towel and now they're out yeah, and the yeah. Steelers are in so all right let's move it on to game four so it just so happened to work out that we've got the three afc games play first the three nfc games play next um okay. so we got the sunday mid-afternoon game 
Um, we've got the Packers at the Cowboys. All right, it's so the key stat in this one. And that is 48.26%. That's Dallas's third down conversion percentage this year, which ranked second in the entire NFL. Dang. They've been so good on third down from play call to execution, playmaking. They're best guys when they need it. And I love, I know everyone still kind of loves to dog on uh, Mike McCarthy, but I'm going to tell you, he's been really good as a play caller in these third down situations. And then, like their guys have executed within structure and outside of structure to make the thing work, even when the initial defense has played very well. So um, now by comparison, the Packers are allowing their opponents to convert on a whopping 41.07% of their third downs. Good. That's good for 25th in the league. They're in the bottom third of the league. Yeah, that's tough. Bottom fourth. got to get them off the field. And so, there's a distinct mismatch on third down, and that could be the dis- the difference if this stat holds up and allows the Cowboys to extend drives. Also, I will note, though, Packers fans would probably be remiss if I didn't know this. They're also top five in third down conversion offense. And, Ooh. you know, the third down breakdown this show, I think I've shown three Packers third down breakdowns this yeah, year because they have been very good. Um, and they're going to need to stay good at it to stay in this game. Definitely. Okay. But in terms of the over-under, Joe, what, what are we looking at here? All right, so the number's 51 for this game. Pretty high. I think this is one of the higher ones we have out of the all the slates. But uh, I originally had the under, but I switched it to the over. Ooh. So five, five times all year for both teams, teams where they, they haven't reached that number, number which is crazy. crazy. So, so out, out of their 12, 12 out of the 17, 12 of them, they, they, they've gone, gone over the number, which is wild. Wild to see. So, I uh, I, I originally just assumed that was a lot of points. <laughs> not gonna happen. So I, I expect like I don't know, thirty-seven, twenty, maybe, or like a it's a, just a lot of points. I don't know. I don't know how it gets there, but it's gonna get there one way or another. Crazy game out out of the, the, the two teams. All right. So let's get to some film here. We're gonna look at the Packers here. All right. And so if you go back, you watch some Packers defense, there's some frustrating stuff on tape. Okay. I won't lie to you. There's some frustrating stuff, but <laughs> in their best win of the season against the chiefs, they were bend, but don't break. All right. They, they let them move the ball between the twenties. The chiefs had 337 total yards of offense, but they only had 19 points. And that mm. was because the Packers were able to get off the field on critical third downs in the red zone. Now, overall red uh, third downs in that game, I think the Chiefs were like 7 for 11. So they were really good. But where were all their missed third down conversions? At or near the red zone. The Packers were able to get off the field, force them to kick a field goal. Or even, I think they did get one fourth down stop as well to keep points off the board entirely. Um, That might have been at the end, I'm I'm wondering. Um, Or remembering, I should say. But um, they, they, you know, they hold the Chiefs to 50% touchdowns in the red zone. The Chiefs were two for four in that game. And I'll tell you this, Sean Gary, who is from your 2023 national champion, Michigan Wolverines, <laughs> um, he's an X factor for those Packers, right? He has nine sacks this year. He really is going to have to be great in this game, I think, for the Packers to win. Okay, so 
why are the Packers so good in the red zone? Okay, well, they they do a really good job of understanding space here, right? They're going to play essentially, um, you know, quarters, but it's different in the red zone. You know, some people call this like red seven, depending on how you play it and what your matchups are. But, you know, we played a variation of it, or coached a variation of it when I was at Willamette. It's called Red Seven. It's a it's an NFL style red zone defense, right? But it's it's essentially like quarters, similar rules, but you're just playing in a lot more condensed space, right? So you've got four over the top, three underneath. That's all it really is. <coughs> now the Chiefs, they're gonna try and run essentially, you know, they really love Travis Kelsey getting to the goal line and running across the face of the defender on that in cut. And then they're going to run a little three-by-one spacing concept where you're going to get the the curl right at the goal line, the outside release to come back in post, and then the sit route that runs underneath all of it. Okay? Now you watch. The Packers do such a good job defending it. Right now there's nothing open. You essentially have three yeah. guys in the area of Kelsey where he really wants to throw. <laughs> over here, you've got a safety over the top on Watson. You've got a backer sitting underneath the in cut with a uh, slot corner sitting outside and you still have a corner over the top of everything. So no matter where he wants to go, where's he going to throw right now? Doesn't have anywhere to throw. And guess who's getting home? Rashawn Gary wins the initial rush. Big number 97 comes in and cleans it up for the sack. It's the Selly, right? So watch Rashawn Gary on the edge. Boom. Wins, dip and rip, get underneath. Trying to circle back, run the hoop, forces Mahomes to step up. Now Mahomes just narrowly avoids him, but there's big number 97. Clark comes in to finish the job. Gary comes back, probably got credited with a half sack there, and he should have got the full one. But that's the kind of stuff that the Packers are going to need to do to Dak Prescott if they want to win this game. Now, on the flip side, though, where has Dak Prescott been really good this year? Here we go. Okay, so this is a third and long. Third down versus the Lions. We told you the Cowboys have been excellent on third down this year, one of the best teams in the league. He and C.D. Lamb just have this connection now where C.D. has become a guy that, like, you know, where people were wondering, should Dallas have traded Amari Cooper? Is CD a real number one? Is he really that guy? You know, he's, everyone knew he was good. He was talented. But, like, how good is he really? Okay, well, after this Baller. season, he's, like, at the worst, he's a top ten receiver in this league. At best, you might say he's, like, a top two, three guy, right? And so you're going to watch this. And this is why, because he and Dak have such great chemistry even out of the original execution of the play. So you're going to see the Lions scheme up. Aaron Glenn schemes up some nasty stuff sometimes, man. Um, it's empty on third and long. You're going to play man, true cover zero. But they're going to look like this guy is covering the slot. Instead, he's going to pressure. They're going to run a little inside game where he comes up the field and the three technique comes back over the top. And it's nasty. They're sending six with the game added in. It's good stuff from the Lions. And the Cowboys don't actually pick it up. But Dak just makes it happen. And he and CD, man, it's hard to cover CD on the initial, right? So Dak's looking here. He doesn't like anything he has. He's coming back to the opposite side of the field in the progression. 
<clears throat> and that's right as that free defender is coming right in his face. He dips underneath, skips past it. Now, yeah, this is just all him and CD, man. Look at this. Skates. Points him out there. Vertical oh. ball, defender falls down. Come on, man. That's tough. Tough. For a Lions defense that played pretty well in this game, too. That is tough, right? That's crazy. So, really good stuff from the Cowboys on third down, in and out of structure. It's going to make it really hard on the Packers. But if the Packers can bow up in the red zone and force field goals, they will give themselves a shot to go win this game. Yeah, that, that play was something else right there. The way Dak escaped that pressure was wild. They they had him swallowed up, and then he just whoop, gets out of there. But so my prop bets for this one, looks like we're rolling the the Packers first, I guess. All right, so the Packers one I got. Like I said, some of them were a little fluky. The Packers, they didn't have many besides touchdown props only. So they had A.J. Dillon, Christian Watson, and Jaden Reed. So out of those three, I like Jaden Reed the most. That's been one of Jordan Love's go-to dudes right now. Especially and down the stretch. Yeah. And my dude is out of Michigan State. <laughs> Let's see. For the Cowboys, so contrary to our guy, CeeDee Lamb, who has been getting all the targets, all the yards, we're rolling Jake Ferguson. Ooh, taking, Ferguson. Taking, you know, so the tight end for them. He's, I'm taking the over 45 and a half receiving yards. And at the time, I also have a little bonus one for this one. I'm taking under 61 and a half rushing yards for Tony Pollard. I don't know. Something tells me Jake, they're going to do their best to, like, similar to what we saw with them guarding, uh, what's his face? Travis Kelsey right there, how they had three dudes on that solo side with him. I feel like they're going to try to do something similar with CD. Where he can't really reach a hundred and I don't know, I think it's eight. Whatever it is, is crazy high. And I think Jake Ferguson's the next guy up. So that's where I'm rolling with that one. And he, uh, this school is Wisconsin Madison. I guess it's it's a little bit smaller than regular Wisconsin. But there's one <laughs> later on. We'll give you. It did. I don't know where that is. Okay. Awesome. Um, all right. It's time for final score prediction. An important note, since the NFL expanded the playoffs to include seven teams, a seven seed has not won a game yet. That's crazy. The Packers are a seven seed. Until till today. They're going on the road in Dallas. It just, until I see something different, it just feels like Dallas kind of has the yips in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Um. And there's just something about them that I don't fully trust. And maybe it's just previous playoff. You know, it's Romo fumbling the, the yeah. extra point. That was tough. It's it's the Dez. Was it a catch or a fumble? Also tough. Was that it, against the Packers? Yeah. It's, you know, the Niners coming in with the boom box and just smoking them. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's all of those, like the ghosts of playoff pass for the, for the Cowboys and, just not sure I truly trust them, um, and which has nothing to do with this team, right? It's probably yeah. not fair to them, but it it's just feels just like that happens to the Cowboys, right? <clears throat> and uh, when I look at everything, though, and, and really focusing on these two teams in this game specifically, without that context, 
I do feel like the Packers offense has been really humming recently. And the Cowboys offense has too. And the Cowboys have the better defense than the Packers. There's no reason to pick against the Cowboys other than I just think the the Packers are going to have their best game. They're a really young team. They've gotten better every week of the season this year. And uh, Jordan Love. Yeah. And Jordan Love's been consistently taking leaps and they've kind of checked different boxes at different points in the season. And I just think this is the, this is kind of the moment for him. And uh, so I'm going Packers 26 Cowboys 23. I mean, first real big upset of the program here. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say I agree with the upset, but I do like the Packers against the spread at seven and a half. That seems really high. Just sim- it's not as high as the Bills game, but a touchdown is plenty, I think, for them to keep it close in terms of the spread. And if you're looking at the odds for the money line, the the Cowboys being the favorites, it's going to be at minus three fifty and plus two hundred seventy five for the for the Packers. So for you, you got a chance to make a little bit of money over there. I know you're not going to put any on, but there, there's some good upside on that one. All right. Let's move on to the last game of Sunday, the Sunday night game. I think it's probably the game that most people are looking forward to. True. It's Matthew Stafford and the Rams going to Jared Goff and the Lions. It's McVay, Dan Campbell, Les Need, the teacher, Brad Holmes, the student, the protege, who then turned around and made the deal with him. Like all of this, right? There's a lot of connections between these two franchises recently. And uh, it's going to be a really important game, just in a lot of different ways, other than it just being a playoff game. feels like it has added importance. So the key stats in this one, 66% and 54%. First number is the percentage of touchdowns the Lions defense allows in the red zone. The second number is the percentage of touchdowns the Rams defense allows in the red zone. Offensively, both these teams are efficient. They rank in the top five in the league, each around 64% red zone touchdowns. Um, I expect both offenses to be up to the task. They're going to move the ball. I really do. I think this will be uh, an affair where both McVay and Ben Johnson are cooking the two-play college for these teams. But in the end, I think this game could come down to which defense is able to bend but not break and force more field goals. Makes sense. Um, there's also the thing with the Lions. The likelihood is they're not going to have Sam Laporta, that hyperextended yep. knee. Doesn't mm-hmm. look like it's going to be anything super serious, but it probably keeps him out this week, which is big. True. He's been huge for that Lions team. Um, so with all that information, Joe, what do you like on the over-under? The over-under, we're looking at 51.5 in this game. It's a, it's a sure thing over in my eyes. Let's see. The Rams have gotten that six times. The the Lions at eight. I just think, you know, especially with that stat you just gave us about the red zone, where half the time for the Rams, they, they let the dude score a touchdown, and then the, the Lions out here with uh, two-thirds. I think this this emphasizes if you get to that red zone, you just, you get points. And the the fact that you also mentioned the Ben don't break, I feel like that's kind of been the Rams the back end of the season, where they, they it's all like in the twenties, mid twenty games, and you know they sneak it out at the end. Some games they even 
they couldn't they couldn't hold on long enough, but it was still in the mid twenties, lost by like a field goal or something. So I think that that alone is just like a a funny thing to look at, just as their their season as a whole. So I I think you just take the over. I I don't know. Two dudes. I'm with you. It's similar to the Texans game I see, where it's just two dudes that throw the ball like crazy. Like I don't know. It's just yelling and yelling over <clears throat> the points. And if if it's not the over, like it's gonna be a fun game, definitely. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's get to some film. Let's break it down. We're gonna look at the Rams first, and this is their red zone defense against Lamar Jackson. You know, one of the more efficient scoring offenses in in the NFL this yeah. season, right? Raheem Morris, he does a really good job of mixing in different fronts, pressures, and coverages in the red zone. Um, we're going to go back-to-back plays here. This is second down, and you'll also see the yeah. third down. So on second down, they're going to bring seven, actually. They're going to blitz the face of the back. They may be playing some peel technique. It's oh. tough to know because the back didn't actually come out of the backfield. He stayed in the protection. So it gave the Rams seven on six in the protection, right? And... You know, so you get one one free rusher, and you're going to force the throw versus man coverage. Then on the next one, they're only going to rush four, and they're just going to play cover three and insert a safety as the hook defender. So okay. we'll watch both of those. Um, this is just really good stuff, man. This is why Raheem Morris is a, a head coaching candidate right now. He just manages the game really well defensively. May move the ball on us between the 20s, <clears throat> but when you get down here, we're going to make it tough for you to score. Now, the concept by the Ravens with the little clear out and then running the under is actually a really good concept for what the Rams are doing in terms of playing man coverage with a high safety. Because, look, Jordan Fuller's got to run through to get to that under route. Yeah, Everyone's locked up. Man, 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 right? Good matchups. This is tough, though. But Lamar can't get rid of the ball because he's been flushed. He's drifting back because he's got Ernest Jones rushing him in his face. Look, he has to throw the thing off his back foot. He actually puts it in Zay Flowers' hands, but Zay Flowers, it's so late, he feels Jordan Fuller running up on him, so he drops it. And you can see it great from this angle, the pressure that they run. Boom. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. For yeah. five blockers plus the back, six blockers. You've got one less than we can block. You're at one on one, one on one, one on one, one on one, one on one. But this is the free rusher. This is the one Lamar is responsible for. So Lamar keeps drifting, trying to create space to give his guy time. He throws it off the back foot. He actually puts it on him. But Zay Flowers kind of has to go down for it, right? And then he feels Jordan Fuller right there on his back, and it's a drop. Okay. That honestly hit his knee. Yeah. Actually, that's tough. It would it would have been a tough catch. I mean, yeah, Lamar true. put it in a spot where he could have caught it, but it would have been a tough one. Okay, so now you go to the ensuing third down. Okay, well, Raheem brought pressure on second down. What's he do on third down? Oh, well, on third down, we're going to run a little cover three, bring the safety deep, or bring the corner deep, bring this safety deep, right? But he's got three by one, so he's really spying on three here. I'm getting depth. I'm actually inserting as the hook defender. The backer's the other hook defender, and you got two flat players with the nickel corner rolling to the flat to the strong side. The Ravens are running a mesh concept where they got double unders, right? You got one sitting behind it, and then you got the vertical. Lamar, still, again, the Rams create pressure even though it's only with four. They flush him from the pocket. Okay, this is that, you know, we talked about this with Dak, like in and out of structure. Now you've played yeah. defense on the first part of the play where you've stopped them, but like 
this guy's so good. Now what do you do when he gets out of the pocket? And look at the play the Rams rally to make and stop him short and force a field goal attempt instead. It's just such good complimentary football when you get in the red zone. And it's hard for offenses to score. The field shrinks. Less explosive, uh, you know, threat of explosives. It's really good stuff. I mean, this is a great play by Jordan Fuller to come off, recognize, okay, I've got a guy in coverage. I can come off. I can come up there and help make that play. Great pursuit from the D-line to come back and get him. Just great stuff. Okay, now on the flip side, <coughs> the Lions, right? The Lions, you know, I think Dan Campbell is just not afraid to go for it, right? This is week 10 against the Chargers. This is when the Chargers were still in that playoff race and still were doing some good things. Um, you know, he's not afraid to go for it. He goes for it early in the game. They throw the ball from the one-yard line, fourth and one. They don't get it. He gets another fourth and one right at the one-yard line, fourth and goal. He's not afraid to go for it again. He's like, yeah, we're going for it again. And this time, you know what? He's like, hey, we're going to get to our roots. We're going to run the football, right? It's, you know, they run the ball in. It's not sexy, but it works, right? Uh They're going to run GY counter. So the blocking scheme here, you're going to get down blocks from everyone play side, right? Except for the tight end who's actually going to bump Joey Bosa, but then arc to the outside uh, slot corner out here. You're going to see that when you get motion across from Almond Ross St. Brown, it's actually going to bump this guy out and give Laporta a great angle to him. And then the guy who has, again, one of the harder blocks is the backside tackle because he's got to cut this guy off who's actually got the angle on him to beat him to the play. But he's got to cut him off and not let him get backside penetration on it or this play never starts, right? Get stopped before it started. And then the tight end has a really long block to get to Derwin James. All right, here we go. So we're going to watch it. Really good stuff up front from the Lions. They move people, man. Their O-line's been so good this year. You can see it. Boom, the tight end gets all the way around. Yeah, the Chargers got a little penetration, but when it's fourth and one and you can fall forward, it's all that it is. That's all you need, right? Um, So I think the Lions, when they've stuck to the run game in the red zone, that's when they've been the best. That's when, you know, and, and Ben Johnson does a good job of scheming up play action stuff down there too. Um, but I think, you know, when you've seen them be able to run the ball, that's when they have a lot of success down there. And the Rams on the inverse side, you know, Aaron Donald, guys, Byron Young, Kobe Turner, they're going to try and keep the Lions from being able to do that, obviously, and make them more yeah. one-dimensional. Um, so this game, I think it's going to come down to which defense is able to get more stops in the red zone, force field goals. And then if you're the Rams – you know those Lions love to go for it, right? Oh, yeah. You're going to have to be ready to play four downs. Wow. If you're the Lions, hey, the Rams don't really have a kicker that they trust. They may not kick for that reason, so you may have to go four downs. This may be four-down football, so maybe teams can get off without giving any points up because they can get a fourth-down stop. So look for that in that game. Yeah, I think they're on like their third or fourth at this rate. It's crazy. They didn't fire every kicker they got for the most part. Bad man, couldn't, bad. couldn't make make anything all year. But let's see. So this, the first thing we're looking at is the over unders, huh? Or did we hit that? I already hit that. No, we're on the prop bets. The props. So, let's see for the Rams. <clears throat> excuse me for the Ram. Oh, this one. You want to take that down the skin, bro? I'm going. I'm fading on these two for for each team. Oh. So. Okay. 
For the Rams, I'm I'm taking Kyron Williams receiving yards, taking the under 16 and a half. That dude's been running the ball like crazy the last like month. hasn't hasn't really recorded any receiving yards in that time frame. I expect similar here. I mean, if they're throwing the ball, they're throwing it deep, or at least the intermediate to deep range. We've seen Puka go crazy. We've seen Cooper take a step back a little bit, but he still gets the ball here and there. And then Robinson, the deep threat for the team. No way they're hitting checkdowns to Kyron this week. I don't see it. And I, I thought he was out of OSU, but turns out he was from Notre Dame. I had to, I had to fact check myself before I looked dumb. And for right. the, let's see, the the Lions, I, I'm doing also receiving yards for the running back. Jameer Gibbs, though, out of Bama. I do know now when we talked about him over our our breakdown for the, the draft. There's, I'm pretty sure there's two games where he didn't even touch the ball. Like the last two weeks, I don't think he's ever gotten a, a receiving target even. So his number is 22 and a half. I don't think he's getting receiving yards as well. I think he's more the running back, like running the ball, I should say, not literally his his position. And I think Montgomery takes more of the, the passing threat, if I'm not mistaken. So both of them not getting their receiving yards is what I'm taking for this game. Okay. Um. All right, so final score prediction time. I'm, uh, I'm going with another road dog here in the NFC. I've got the Rams mm-hmm. 31, Lions 30. I just think when it comes down to it, both these offenses are efficient. They do a really good job. But I think the Rams' red zone defensive numbers being, you know, 15% better than what the Lions are at yeah. <laughs> gives me more confidence in the Rams' defense when we get to the red zone that they can get more stops. And I think that's ultimately what ends up winning them the game. So going Rams 31, Lions 30, Matthew Stafford taking the souls of every person in Detroit in their first home playoff game in like 30 years. <laughs> that's the send it off to the, to the book. Yeah. Let them write that. The scripts did. Feels the like script writers did great on this one. Yeah. It feels like it's gotta be Stafford, like leading the Rams on a drive to win the game. Right. Yeah. Like to no, finish definitely. like scores last minute to win it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Drive the field. I, I we kind of talked about this, I think, last week when we were teasing the the matchups and I, I not only want to put it out there, I'm not gonna say it again. I'm leaving that one as is. But I do like I do like the Rams in this game. I do think them the, the Lions not having Sam Laporte is gonna be a huge, huge yeah. loss yeah. for them. Cause he's he's been getting a touchdown or two like the last month or two in each game. He's been been doing well, and so I think that alone, you know, it, we we've seen it when he had Hawkinson, and they got to whoever his backup was, and it was like, all right, they're doing just as well. And then now with Laporte, it's like you you were you you had a sure thing, and to lose it late, like it's like we've seen Lamar do it with Isaiah Likely, you know, mm-hmm. with that, but he also lost Mark Andrews earlier in the year, not when yeah. when it's crunch time, so. I think the 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 Lions lose, the Rams pull it off. So I, obviously it's going to. I like the the spread and the money line. The spread's at three for the Lions, so plus three, okay. plus one forty <laughs> for the Rams. I that's I take that to the bank. Love Good bread right there. All right, so we got to get to the last game, the Monday night Super Wild Card Weekend Capper, Eagles at Buccaneers. Here's the key stat in this one. Plus. 
0.5 and minus 0.6 represents the turnover margin for the Buccaneers and the Eagles. The Buccaneers' defense, they've thrived on takeaways. They've forced 1.5 turnovers per game while their offense is giving the ball about once per game. So that's notice where they get the plus 0.5 there in the turnover differential. Yeah. By comparison, the Eagles have struggled with giveaways. They've turned the ball over 1.6 yeah, times per game, true. and they force one takeaway per game. Since the NFL playoffs expanded to seven teams in 2020, did a little study here. Uh-huh. Teams that win the turnover margin are 22 and seven in playoff games. Okay. Now, obviously, there's playoff games where no one wins the turnover margin, hence why we got the weird yeah. 29 game number there. Last year, teams were 10 and two. Okay. You know, like one of the true anomalies was like Jacksonville beating the Chargers last year. Even the Chargers were plus five in turnover differential. You know, it's just uh-huh. it's just rare that you lose the turnover differential in the playoffs and you still win the game. So given that metric, feels like takeaways could be a huge marker of who wins this game, right? If the yeah, Bucks definitely can stick to that trend, you know, maybe they could be a home underdog that pulls the upset. That's also worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. You've got injuries for A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, even Jalen Hurts with the finger. Like all that's weighing in the air on the Eagles, and we don't yeah. know if those two-star receivers are really going to be playing or not yet. I didn't even know Devontae Smith was hurt, so that's another knock for the guy. Yeah. I think that kind of ties into where I'm looking on this. But let's see. So my over-under sits at 44 on this game. I'm taking the under. So when they played earlier in the year, it was 25-11, to 11, the Bucks loss, which only, you know, that's only 36, still under that number. There was... Six games for the Eagles where they, they had less than 44. And the Bucks, they did it 12 times this year, less than 44. Kind of crazy. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think – I think it's going to be an ugly game. I mean, we've seen the Bucks last week. It was 9-0 to versus the Panthers. That game was mm-hmm. done by, like, 1230. Crazy. <laughs> it was literally two hours, bro, not even. <coughs> Because halftime yeah. was in there. It, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a gross, gross game all around. And, it, yeah, it, they're not reaching 44. I don't see it. That's funny, man. I'm with you 100%. I think it's going to be an ugly one too. So let's look at the film and talk about why it might be quote-unquote ugly here. Start with the Eagles side. Okay. The Eagles – they turn the ball over less when they get back to their roots and they run the football consistently. Yeah, right? they, the they've just been nice, better. They don't do it. It's to me, it's a lot like the Bills and Josh Allen. What I talked about with them, you know, when they run the ball and they have an effective running game and they and they lean on that, it and they let like the quarterback's legs be a factor as well. And yeah. they don't just ask a guy to rip it forty times. They're just so <laughs> yeah. much better. They really are, and it's crazy. They kind of got away from what made them so good, you know, and starting on their run last last season. Yeah. So um, I think they need to refocus their play calling on creative runs. And here's one in this clip. This is a few weeks ago against the, the Giants on Christmas Day. Okay, you're going to get, surprise, surprise, another counter look, GY, right? Very similar uh-huh. Almost identical to the play we saw the Lions run against the Chargers in the red zone. Because you're even going to have the motion across his face, right? 
isn't it funny when we look through all these offenses, like all the best ones, they're all using motions creatively to, to move you. And then they're running, you know, gap scheme or zone right, right where they're thinking you're moving you. Right. It's just hilarious across all these play callers, man. It's McDaniel, it's Ben Johnson, it's Sirianni and, and the guys that he's got in, in Philly. Like they're all doing it. All the good ones. So you see Devontae Smith, he's going to go in motion, right? You're going to yeah. get down blocks, down, 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 down. And because they have numbers, the tight end, you know, I really thought he was going to kind of arc release up to this slot defender. But because the motion takes him really out of the picture, they just end up getting a double on Thibodeau at the point of attack with him and the puller, the pulling guard. Well, and nice. then you'll see the the tight end's going to wrap in the hole for the backer, place that backer. So here we go. Also love that they ran this out of pistol. (laughs) Right? Because it starts on one side, kind of influences you, and then comes back with the counter look. And again, leaving an edge player unblocked, but who does he have to respect? Quarterback. Yep. And boom, we get through that little hole. Jump, make the explosive play at the end. And now we look like the James Cook play, right? Where you get one-on-one with the safety and your back is athletic enough to win. Boom. It's so funny you watch football across the league, man. It's not any different. The the answers are similar for all these teams. And whichever yeah. team is able to get to that and then stick to it and let their guys be playmakers, those are the teams that are going to win, right? So yeah. if Philly can do that and they establish a run game to help themselves, to get out of their own way, to help <laughs> their defense, which has not been great recently, I think they have a very good shot to win this game on the road, despite the way they've played recently. And the way they've played is awful. But don't <laughs> underestimate championship DNA. Yeah. They still have champion. They made a Super Bowl run last year. Okay. Now on the flip yeah, side, the wrong. Bucks. The Bucks still have some guys from their championship team too. They still got some championship DNA. They were a team that I think a lot of people, ourselves included, thought would not be very good this we year. Wrote them off. And the big yeah, thing for bad. them. They they're not the same defense they were during their Super Bowl run, but there's a ton of speed on the field, and there are multiple guys from that defense at every level that were on that Super Bowl team. They have a lot of playmakers. Um, they've flown under the radar as a good defense this season, I think, because much of the focus has been on the Baker Mayfield resurgence, and rightfully so. But this defense has been very good under Todd Bowles consistently since since he was the defensive coordinator even since he took over as the head coach they've been very good they can win one-on-ones at different spots up front and they wreak havoc um you know and they can wreak havoc on hurts if the eagles try to pass the ball to win the game and that's why i think the eagles run game is so important um todd bowles is great at scheming up these pressures and fire zones he loves these fire zones that's what you're going to get here okay this is as creative a fire zone as you're going to see right because You've got a basic four-man front, right? It's just a four-three, you know, two-high shell look. But as we start looking at it, you can see it's going to become a fire zone three under three deep. So you're going to have your corners, deep thirds. You're going to get a safety that's going to get to the middle third. You're going to blitz your nickel corner, not off the edge, but into the B gap, and let your best pass rusher get up the field on the edge, create a one-on-one, right? You're going to cross face of the guard into the center with your uh, three technique. And then front side, 
No, or with your one technique, I'm sorry. And then front side on the three technique, he's actually going to pass rush outside and you're going to drop your end into the hook defender. And then your guy who looks like a hook defender is actually going to drop to the flat. And then your guy who looks to the hook defender on the front side, he's going to drop to the flat. And that becomes your three under three deep fire zone. So you're blitzing a nickel corner. You're dropping a defensive end. These are the kind of things that some people are just scared to do, right? Because <laughs> you're using personnel in different ways. However, yeah. watch why Todd Bull schemes this up. Look what it does. One, you're playing a rookie quarterback in Bryce Young who's confused, right? He is not yeah. understanding what he's seeing right now. Okay, and also it creates a true one-on-one with your best pass rusher, and he wins. Creates a fumble, turnover, and there's one of those big turnovers we've been talking about that their defense has lived off of this year. You, you can, can see, see it better from this angle in terms of the pressure. Drop out. I'm, I'm coming into that B gap. I'm blitzing into the A gap, and now it lets him get a one-on-one, and he wins. And they get the fumble with the recovery. Huge turnover in that game. Um, their defense held Carolina you know, scoreless for a reason. So um, I'm with you in terms of this game being kind of muddied up. I know Baker Mayfield is not 100% healthy. That makes it harder on that Buccaneers offense. That Buccaneers defense is very good. The Eagles offense is not playing great. I'm with you. Yeah. It's going to be an ugly game. Also, I wanted to make a quick little anecdote on how you talked about the Eagles running the ball. When I was at the Rams game, the dude next to me, he said two things all game. Run the ball and give it to Goddard every time they threw. <laughs> so the, you, you just reminded me of that dude. He's like, give it to Goddard. Goddard. Or he's like, run the ball. We got Swift. We're running it all over him. Like, all right, bro, I, I get you. You guys are winning. You're like, all right. It, you're still up like you don't gotta worry you got points on the board like <laughs> you had two tush pushes today i don't know what to tell you <laughs> that's what everyone comes to see that tush push yeah that's what i'm saying so all right so after that little anecdote i'll give you the the eagles prop bet real quick so as we talked about aj brown being hurt a little bit i don't know if he will play but they had a line out for him so i was gonna take the under 78 and a half yards on that Last week, yeah. I think he only got like 12 after that happened. And the week before, he had like 18 or something. Not looking good for him in recent time. But if if that one doesn't play out for you or you don't, you don't want to worry if he plays or not and get a did not play on that mark, I'm taking Jalen Hurts under passing yards as well at 237 and a half. Hurts was out of Bama. Sorry, A.J. Brown was out of Ole Miss. And then... Our, uh, for the flip Hurts side, out of Oklahoma. I mean, he was originally Bama, but most recently Oklahoma. Well, he he's got many a teams. That, that was it. So you know, <laughs> I was par- partial credit. Partial credit. <laughs> partial credit. Uh, let's see. For the flip side, though, I'm looking at one and a half field goals made by our guy Chase McLaughlin for the Bucks. Now this is the the school I was telling you. My dude went to Illinois. Urbana Champagne. <laughs> All right. That's a different one. <laughs> that that's is what I'm saying, one. bro. <laughs> Never heard the wrong. place. Didn't know they had football at, at that school. But, hey, congrats to you, man. You made it to the league as a kicker. Good, good work. Go. Okay. So uh, we got to give a final score prediction here. Oh, you're going and real muddy water. 
I am going Eagles 17, Buccaneers 13. I think the Buccaneers defense keeps them in it. I think the Eagles have a mistake or two like they have recently that kind of keeps this thing close. But I think the Eagles defense plays better against a banged up Baker Mayfield. Um, I think both teams probably try and run the ball a little bit. Uh And ultimately, I think the Eagles do enough protecting the ball that they they give themselves a true shot to win at the end and they and they pull it off. So I'm going yeah. Eagles 17, Buccaneers 13. Feels like a game maybe like the Eagles score first. It's and then they're, and then after that it's kind of just like neither team can score for a while and yeah. This they, they sort of control it, you know, but they don't ever have it. They don't ever run away with it. Yeah, it's kind of how I feel about this. Yeah, it makes sense. I was going to say I I feel like a 20 to 10 or like 20 to 13 would play out. It's a very similar. But in terms of the money line and the spread, I'm taking the Eagles, of course. I don't I, I now don't get me wrong, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks win with the with the, a weird game, but I think Eagles is the smart play here and the, the spread, of course. It's just gonna be it's, I mean Baker's banged up, you said and what they've been doing well is slinging the rock to either Mike Evans or Chris Godwin and so if he can't if he can't hit the ball deep, it's gonna be tough for them to get to get that a close close game so that's what i'm rolling with those all right so that's it um just to kind of recap in summary for me i like all of the afc home teams so i'm on you know in terms of if you're looking at you know who's covering who who i think i like to to win here it's the texans the chiefs and the bills and um, <clears throat> in the NFC, I like all the road teams, the Packers, the Rams, and the Eagles. Um, mm-hmm. Overall, we I picked three favorites, three underdogs, right? My three yeah. favorites, the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Eagles, and my three underdogs being the Texans, the Packers, and the Rams. Um, this should be an entertaining weekend. There may be some ugliness, you know, some snow and <laughs> yeah. some bad weather, some stuff, you know, freezing temps. And maybe generally there's usually one game that gets ugly, you know, yeah, that's just not definitely. a fun game to watch. And, and the score gets out of hand. So hopefully we don't get that. I would love to just have six amazing games. And based on, you know, kind of what we're looking at here, I think we will have six competitive games. Yeah, I, I think what we're most looking forward to, though, is definitely the, the Rams-Lions, right? We talked about that one. I think you could get some... Some fun from the Chiefs Dolphins, just in terms of two two offensive coordinators putting in some nice nice schemes. And then, if you want more defensive play, you probably go look at that Cowboys game maybe a little bit early on. And then you know as things play unfold a little bit more in the second half, you probably start scoring a lot. But yeah, I mean, I hope it's fun. I I, I have a little different things. I I got the the Browns instead the Texans for that one and then I got the Cowboys instead the Packers but I mean we'll see we'll see at the end of so the next you got week. five favorites only one one dog yeah the one yeah. that matters the most uh-huh that's the one that needs to win baby yeah <laughs> all right well we appreciate all of you for uh sticking with us listening Hopefully you like the stuff that we talked about. You feel ready, prepared for this super wild card weekend. Everything you need, the things to look for, the keys to every game, 
even if you're gambling as your fancy, the things that you should gamble on, all of that good stuff. We've given it to you all. Super Wildcard Weekend. Here we come. You'll hear us again probably early next week to recap yeah. what happened and preview the divisional round. Um, but thanks for all of you listening, subscribing, hanging out with us every week. And uh, enjoy your weekend watching football. Yeah. And Ray Ray taking this out. Thank mm-hmm. you.